Hello everyone, my name is Cliff Duvinois, and after 20 years I returned to my native Michigan and in my quest to reconnect with our great state, I want to talk to the leaders that are behind Michigan's top destinations. I want to learn more about them and the great experiences they and their team provide all of us Michiganders, and perhaps I'll learn a few things along the way. Welcome to the Call of Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Cliff Duvenois, and today we have a Michigan staple on the podcast, and she probably has one of the coolest jobs in the world. I just I just love saying her job title. Please welcome to the show, Nancy Oxley, the Vice President of Winemaking at St. Julian Wines. Nancy, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me today. Great. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? All right. So I was born in Bloomington, Illinois. We lived there for a short period of time before briefly moving to the North Canton, Ohio area. I think my parents kept us there for about nine months before we landed in Lafayette, Indiana. So that's where I grew up the majority of my life. I am a boilermaker through and through, so I bleed black and gold. So (laughs) boilermaker. And I do have a degree from that university in Southern Indiana as well. I have my MBA from IU, but my undergrad and my master's are both from Purdue University. And I happened to be in my senior year of college and my mom was asking me if I was ever going to get a job in winemaking. And in college, I worked with the Indian International Wine Competition. And at that time, my professor, Dr. Richard Vine, was running the competition. And I said, yeah, mom, I'm not really worried. I'd gone out to California, did an internship, worked with Daryl Groom nice. at Peak Winery. It has since been bought and sold more times than I can count with the great consolidation of California wineries. The Virginia Deer Winery is actually at the location of where I interned. But I came home and my mom said, hey, you need to get a job when you graduate. And so I happened to send my resume up here to St. Julian and it was the perfect, the perfect, you know, match. It was that puzzle piece that they were kind of missing and what my strengths of my background was right out of college fit perfectly into their programs. So I started here in August of 2002 as the assistant winemaker, and I have since worked my way up becoming head winemaker and now vice president of winemaking. So I just finished harvest number 19 with St. Julian. So harvest 2021 will mark my 20th harvest at this great company. So that's awesome. And and I want to go back because you said, you actually, you said a lot of things that intrigued me. Whose mother says to them, when are you going to get a job working with wine? <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, she knew I had been bit by the wine bug and I had done my internship and I had set my heart on working in the wine industry. So my undergrad degree is in food manufacturing operations, which is food science, food engineering and management. And working with the wine competition, I had this great opportunity to taste wines from all over the world, as well as work with some amazing people in the industry, whether it was salespeople, people that own distributorships and winemakers. And so my, I guess, portfolio of people that were on my team to get the job in the industry was actually really fun. And I didn't know which angle I wanted to take. I didn't know if I wanted to make wine or sell it, but when it came down to it, I love math and science and I love the art behind winemaking. So that's the route I chose. So being any good mother, she was pushing me into the realm to get a job, knowing that at some point I would have to move out and grow up, I think. (laughs) So what was it uh, initially about 
about wine that attracted you to it? You know, we really weren't big wine drinkers or my family wasn't growing up. They would always have the Asti Spumanti or white Zinfandel on holidays. But I think it's something that oftentimes the general public takes for granted that there are actually people that are behind the scenes making wine. And even being in food science, I didn't really know that was a career path. And it, it truly came down to so much science behind winemaking, whether it be in the vineyards and the biology and phenology of the grapes growing and how they grow here in Michigan compared to California or another great you know, wine growing region. But then the science behind the actual winemaking process but we were always into art growing up. And so being able to throw an artistic flair at it was a huge thing. I knew that I wanted to do some sort of food product development. I just thought I would be working for Frito-Lay or Kellogg or, you know, something else creating new food products. I never imagined wine when I was 18 years old going into college. So, and the people, the people are absolutely amazing in this industry. So once I got a little bite out of getting to know the people, the industry is one that I can't really compare to anything else because I don't know how many other industries really help their fellow colleagues that we're all on the same team. But yet, of course, we'd rather you drink the wine that we make versus our neighbors. But it's a truly unique industry. Yes, that it is. And I know that before you said that you were, you know, you were sending your resume out and, and you applied to to St. Julian's and things just worked out. With your pedigree and especially with your experience working with California wineries, what was it that that made you think that working for for St. Julian was the direction you wanted to go? I wanted to be in a Midwest. Being a Midwest girl growing up here, I loved California. I loved California's wine scene. It's just a different uh, lifestyle, I guess, out West. Yes, and it is. <laughs> I think it would have been so much fun to be out there as a young person in my 20s working in the wine scene, but I was afraid I would never be able to make it home. But that wasn't out of the realm. I thought, you know, I really would have to go back there. I just happened to get matched with St. Julian uh, by advisement of my professor, Dr. Richard Vine. He knew that St. Julian was a larger winery. In Indiana, we have a lot of small mom and pop shops and not, you know, they weren't necessarily hiring people outside of the family. And he said, you go a little bit bigger. You might have a better opportunity of getting your foot in the door and getting a job and being able to grow with a company. And that's exactly what I did. Nice. And with regards to St. Julian Wines, why don't you share with us like an overview of the, of the history of the company? So this year marks our 100th anniversary. Yeah, right? And that's <laughs> For our, you know, some Michigan businesses, but for a Michigan winery, it's quite outstanding. So we were founded in 1921 by Mariano McConey. He immigrated over from Flaria, Italy to Windsor, Ontario. Um, of course, that was, you know, prohibition times and he was making wine in Canada. And as soon as prohibition was over, he moved the winery across the river to Detroit. And we were there for two years. And all of the grapes back then were, of course, grown in southwest Michigan because Welch's is just four miles south of our current location. 
and horse and bugging grapes from one side of the state to the other proved not to be the best business model. So they moved the winery to the heart of grape country, essentially, and the building that we are in now was available. There was a lot of rich agricultural history to our building prior to St. Julian moving in. The railway actually went right in between our buildings, and they used our one of our current barrel sellers is an old ice house. And so the local farmers would chip blocks of ice off of the local lakes to bring here so they could load rail cars to ship out fresh fruits and vegetables to Chicago and Detroit. And, you know, we had a few wars in between that happened. So we were the Italian wine company. Ultimately, we landed on St. Julian to pay homage to the patron saint of Falaria, San Juliano. And so St. Julian stuck and we've been that ever since. We've been in our current location since 1936, and while some of our bones look original, there's a lot of things that are happening interior-wise to the guts of the winery that we're getting some tremendous facelifts going on. So over the years, as you know, we've made sweet fortified wines. One of our most well-known wines is probably our Solera Cream Sherry. We've evolved though, so we're still making some of those sweeter style wines. You know, they people still enjoy drinking sweet red wines here in the Midwest, but we also have planted hybrids in the 70s and then, of course, followed suit planting some vinifera. So, our portfolio currently has well over 150 different wines, sparkling juices, ciders, and spirits. Wow, 150 that's <laughs> wow, that's that's quite a bit. My first exposure with St. Julian was, you know, driving through Frankenmuth and I actually saw a, a storefront, you know, St. St. Julian's winery. Is, is this something where, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of vineyards out there will actually just, you know, send their wine to, you know, a wine store where you're just one of, you know, many, but seeing this particular, you know, wine store there, and I've seen a couple of others scattered around Michigan. You know, what was the, you know, what was the idea behind, behind having your own store? To, to allow people to taste. So it's all about the experience. Anybody can go to their local grocery store, local liquor store, wine shop, you name it. So having people come here to the source, showing them where we actually make the wine and allowing them to taste is a big part of what we do. So being one of the largest winers or the largest in the state in terms of how much fruit that we handle here, this past vintage, we crushed over 4,000 tons of pure Michigan grapes. We also work with about 500 tons of cherries and 100 tons of blueberries. Wow. So we want to show people that we are committed to Michigan agriculture and we're working with the fruit that's grown right here in our backyard, primarily in the Lake Michigan Shore Appalachian. But it is also coming from other locations around Michigan. And that is still based on Mariano's vision of working with Michigan fruit. So third generation, now fourth, who own the company, we are continuing that facet. So uh, and planting new vineyards every single day to be able to accommodate the process load of having over those 150 different products that we have here. Man, I can't even envision what, what four tons of grapes looks like. <laughs> 4,000 4, tons. Oh, I'm sorry, 4,000 tons. Ooh, that's yeah. it. I'm sorry. No, I told you I can't envision it. So, man, that's really cool. So now as as far as you know, with your background in, you know, for, and forgive me for, for kind of slaughtering it here, for, you know, making foods, i.e. making wines, when you sit down to uh, create 
you know, a wine, especially when it's something new, what is kind of like your thinking behind that? Gosh, it comes from many different directions. Sometimes it comes from new varietals that we're working with. So currently we have 52 different grape varietals that we work with. So some of it's that trying to capture what Sauvignon Blanc should taste like or what Albarino should taste like and how does it taste here in Southwest Michigan versus California or versus New Zealand. And so some of it stems from that and trying to taste wines from around the world, but yet make sure we're capturing what our own terroir can create for us. But some of the blending comes from ideas that customers have or other employees may have, you know, just being out and about that and essentially come from anywhere that, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and have this idea and then throw it down on a notebook next to my bed and say, hey, you know, we should, you know, try doing this. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But we're never turn down the opportunity to try things. I would say most of the time they're relatively successful. Not everything necessarily comes to fruition that the customer sees, but it's that constant creativity, constant tasting, smelling, you know, evolving ideas into actual wines that we produce. Nice. And, you know, with regards to, because I, I think you said before you've got over 50, 50 varietals, when, when you're going out there and you're picking like a new varietal, because you said you're planting <laughs> vines all the time, is there something in particular that, that you're looking for in a grape? I think, yes, that it, it definitely has to be cold hardy because of our great Michigan cold weather that we, you know, potentially can have a, a polar vortex coming through here. Oh, yeah. New and different. We're such a young industry. So, I mean, old world Europe, they've been growing vines for hundreds of years and you know, they have specific varietals in certain regions that really work for them. And even California, I mean, in terms of old world versus new world, they're relatively young. But then you have Michigan and the things that we're growing here, Concords and Delawares and Niagara's and all those native species. Yeah, they, they do well here. We make wine from them still. They definitely have a crowd that really enjoys them, but trying to push the limits. I mean, we didn't know if Albarino could grow in Southwest Michigan. So one of our growers said, hey, can we plant Albarino? I want to see if it works. And we said, sure, let's do it. Let's try it. And so I think some of it's pushing the envelope, some of it's experimental. Some things will definitely continue as single varietal and some things will be parts of blends, but I think blends are just as superior as single varietals in terms of wines too. But if we don't try, we don't know. I mean, I could tell you stories that I've been told that back in the eighties, they were growing Pinot Noir down in Southwest Michigan and it was determined that we just couldn't grow it. But when you are growing Pinot Noir like a Concord grapevine, it's not going to be good in any region of the world. And so it was dialing in the actual grape growing to match the specific site as well as the grower, rootstock. There's many things going into growing grapes and getting that right and then getting it in the right hands of the winemakers and, and, and proving we can do things. So, you know, it's just about exploring. I know there are other wineries in the state of Michigan that are doing the same thing. But if we don't try to plant new varietals, we'll never really know if they do well here or not. Yeah, and I think that's something to really keep in mind when it comes to Michigan wines. Like you said before, it's still a, a relatively, you know, I know you said St. Julian's been doing this for, you know, founded the company 100 years ago. But with regards to the rest of the world, Michigan is still, you know, the new kid on the block, so to speak. 
And, you know, it really is experimenting with trying to figure out, you know, what varietals are going to grow here and which of those uh, are actually going to taste good, especially when when you blend them together. So, you know, I can imagine that while your job is fun, you know, getting to play a mad scientist a little bit to kind of experiment here. Uh, it's also, I, I think, a lot of patience being able to uh, take these varieties, mix them together and see what happens. Is this going to taste good? And more importantly, is there going to be a market for it? Absolutely. And then you have to throw in vintage variation that we don't have consistent vintage after vintage like they do necessarily in California that we can wildly have a different vintage every single year. So 19 harvests under my belt, I can't compare two as equal. So if you imagine that you get a clean slate every year, but you don't know what darts are going to be throwing at you, that also puts a, a new twist on making wine as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I want to do is, man, I, I I love this part of the interview. Whenever I talk to anybody about wine, I love this part of the interview. So, <laughs> you know, somebody's listening to this and they're like, you know what? I want to give uh, some some wines from St. Julian a try. I'm going to you know, go to the store. I want to get some. And let's just say that they're, you know, they're a beginner. They're new to wines and they, they just want to get some exposure to it. So what would, you know, what would be some really good wines for them to try? <laughs> Gosh, that's so much fun with our portfolio of products that we have. So if you're a new wine drinker and you're not sure if you actually like wine or you don't drink wine very often, people tend to drink sweeter style wines. Yes. And that's a big portion of St. Julian's portfolio. So if you go to your local retail stores, you will see several St. Julian wines or any of our uh, tasting room locations. The Herons, red and blue Heron, you'll see on the shelves, Sweet Revenge and Envy. Uh, you'll see a line called Native Root that pays homage to the fact of the native varietals that we have here in our state. We have some sparkling wine options and we have fruit wine options. But I would say if you're on the sweeter side, try the Herons, a Sweet Revenge and the Native Roots. If you are a well-versed wine drinker, yes. and <laughs> someone like yourself, <laughs> uh, we, so at St. Julian, we have, you know, our everyday wines are proprietary blends that fall under our St. Julian label. And then we have our... Braganini Reserve Wines. So the Braganini family, third and fourth generation, both here running winery, paying homage to the family. Those are our upper tier wines. And then we have this newer series that we call our winemaking series of really small batch artisanal wines that we do here too. The, the winemaker series, as well as the Braganini Reserves, you had to visit one of our six tasting rooms to purchase those versus something that's a little more widely found at our uh, local retailers. So we have a estate vineyard, a very small estate vineyard in Coloma where we grow Riesling, Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris, Cabernet Sauvignon, and we just planted a few rows of Sangiovese this last spring. Oh, wow. But we have a really nice estate bottled Pinot Noir that I would highly recommend, as well as our Mountain Road Riesling. The Mountain Road Riesling has won White Wine of the Year at the Indian International Wine Competition, as well as a Jefferson Cup. It's one that consistently wins awards year after year. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any new because nobody was doing wine competitions last year. So uh, we'll get back into the, the new realm of this season. But these winemaker series wines, we have an Albarino Pinot Gris blend that is quite delicious. 
For reds, we do a lot of single barrel blends. So myself and my assistant winemaker, Kyle Totsky, we go through and taste every single barrel in-house before we blend out some of our bigger Braganini Reserve blends. So for instance, I have a, a single barrel Cabernet Franc in front of me. So we literally will bottle one barrel of a wine and release it specifically to our wine club members. So if you are a experienced wine drinker, I highly recommend getting your hands on some of these winemaker Siri wines or Braganini reserves. And then if you don't like wine, we have cider. So our <laughs> forbidden cider line, as well as St. Julian's a distillery as well. So we're now producing, we're expanding our line of spirits too. So a little bit of something for everybody here. No doubt. Wow. So this is great. So Braganini winemaker series. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to try them all. And I do want to circle back because I will admit that I have a weakness when it comes to the bubbly. So of your sparkling wine collections, what would be some good ones to try? We have a new rosé out called Ciao Bole, which you know, pays homage to our Italian roots. So it means hello bubbles. So it's a <laughs> sparkling rosé. Nice. Nice. Okay, great. I'm going to have to give that one a try as well. <laughs> Excellent. So, 100 year anniversary. Congratulations. What do you guys got Thank planned? You. Oh, all kinds of stuff. If our great state will open up with these COVID restrictions. <laughs> <laughs> So we have lots of things planned for this year, uh, of course, with everything being on hold until we're open. But as always, we offer tastings, of course, at all of our tasting rooms. Moving into hopefully the spring months, we'll be doing some wine dinners. So we do a five-course pairing wine dinner. Oh. We do one in spring and one in fall. Oftentimes, we'll do small plates out on our patio, so uh, little bites with wine pairings. If you are part of our wine club, we do Wine Club 101. So they're educational series throughout the year, teaching you a little bit about stylistic differences between our wines, how they compare to other regions around the world, blending opportunities. We did one on cider, so we'll have some of those planned. We do an event called Vino in the Vines at our estate vineyard that you get to have little bites that match with the wines of all of the wines made from our state vineyard. So we'll walk in the Riesling block and you'll be able to taste the Riesling grapes and the Riesling from the 2020 vintage that we made. And then you walk over to the Sauvignon Blanc and you'll be able to try the Sauvignon Blanc grapes and try last year's vintage of Sauvignon Blanc and have a little bite with that. And we walk through the entire vineyard. So we'll be doing those several weekends throughout uh, the summer and into the fall. We are in a huge period of growth here at St. Julian. So we just opened a portion of uh, our building next door for a barrel cellar. And we're actually redoing an interior area as a new tasting room for reserve tastings of VIP experience. And then it actually goes downstairs into our big barrel room area. And so we'll be doing some special barrel tastings throughout the year down there. So if you guys like to taste wine right out of the barrel, which is always fun, I always yes. say barrel, we'll be doing those throughout the year as well. And then of course the Pawpaw Wine and Harvest Festival, which we didn't have this last year, but the entire village of Pawpaw transforms. And here at St. Julian, we have bands in and wine tasting and spirit tastings throughout the day and into the evening. Uh, this year, I think we'll be doing some educational seminars. And at, that is Friday through Sunday. 
The weekend commences with the St. Julian Parade through town, but we also are going to, well, rumor is that we're going to be trying to do a Guinness Book of World Record toast of getting as many people as we possibly can to toast to our 100th anniversary. <laughs> nice. Too bad that isn't something you could do virtually. <laughs> and it might be something that we will do. I mean, it all depends on what's going on with what are the restrictions are. So we've definitely been thinking outside of the box, offering tastings to our customers and trying to get wines in the hands of our customers when they can't come here and taste with us. And so depending on what the future looks like towards the end of the year, we'll be definitely having some sort of celebration. If it's not here, it will be a virtual one. Definitely. And I... Tell us, because I, I got to know, I, I know of your tasting room that's over in Frankenmuth, but how many tasting rooms do you have? Yes, we have six. So, of course, right here in Papa, we have our tasting room right here at the winery. We are technically a winery over in Frankenmuth, which is home of our Solera Cream Sherry. So we still are over there. We have a tasting room in Union Pier. We have one in Dundee right across from Cabela's. We have a tasting room in Troy, so in the Metro Detroit area, as well as Rockford. And at our Rockford store, we have Flo's Pizzeria next door. Nice. So fired pizzas, you can have lunch right on site and have that combo. So that is absolutely that's absolutely excellent. And Nancy, for you know, if anybody is here and and I'm gonna Wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna write down all these these names in our in our show notes for sure for people to try. But for anybody who might want to follow what it is that you're doing or become a member of your wine club, what is what is the best way for them to start connecting with you online? Yeah, definitely. It's www.stjulian.com. All of our information is listed online. We have a brand new wine club as well. So we have a, a very extensive wine club that we've had in place for several years that Myself and our president select wines for you. So there's two, four, and six bottle. And if you are a dry wine drinker, we have a club for you. If you're sweet, we have one for you. Or if you and your partner like different wines, we have a club for that as well. And then we have a new Shorter Door Wine Club that is, it's not a wine club, it's a Shorter Door Club, I should say, that gets wine in your hands on a regular basis that you choose if you're liking. Wow. And that's really cool. So for our audience, we will make sure that we have all those links in the show notes down below. Nancy, yes. thank and you. Please so also, and I should also say, please check us out on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, YouTube. So anywhere you can Google St. Julian, you'll probably, we will, we will most definitely pop up, but most regularly Facebook, Instagram, and of course our website. So nice. All the socials that are out there. Absolutely. Excellent. Great. And uh, yeah, so we'll have all those links in the show notes down below. Nancy, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Wonderful to talk to you today. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe to our email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get new episode announcements. You'll get all kinds of great behind the scenes information on upcoming guests. Plus, you'll receive special offers from our guests and partners that you can only get through the email newsletter. Subscribing is quick, easy, and best of all, it is free. Just go to callofleadership.com slash email, type in your email address, and you're done. Once again, that's callofleadership.com slash email. I'll catch you in the next episode.